Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. Hi, I'm Ryan. If I haven't met you before, nice to meet you. I used to be on the team here and uh, got promoted. Got promoted to teaching seven and eight-year-olds at a local school. So if I haven't met you before, it's nice to see you. Um, I have a beautiful baby. If you just want to know some facts about me, I'll have a picture. Mim said, oh, you should have a picture. Like, cause she thing was like, oh, it feels weird. I don't know. She's cute though. I'll, I'll let you know. Just take my word for it. She is really cute. We're starting a, uh, a challenge or a series on love uh, and what does it mean to love? And, and our, our vision for the year is I die so that I may live. And there's this a classic verse that says, uh, those who look to gain their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will, uh, will gain it. And I want to look at loving and what does it mean to love in confrontation, which is fun, right? We love conflict. Everyone's looking really looking forward to this tonight. I'm gonna get, we're, we'll get a little uncomfortable. It's all right. That's okay. I thrive in uncomfortable. It makes me laugh. So if you're uncomfortable, it's funny for me. I don't care. We're looking at loving. And, you know, if you've been around the church, you've heard the word agape love. It's like, you know, one of those things people say. Agape translated is willing. Um, it's willing. It's willing the good of someone else, no matter the cost to yourself. That's what agape love means. So it's willing someone's good, even if it costs me. And I think that uh, actually sums up what loving confrontation means, uh, is that I will your good, even if it actually costs me. It might cost me a friendship. It might cost me my comfort, my comfort um, but I will your good. And we're going to look at uh, just a, a story from Scripture where, where this happens. So Galatians 2, 11 to 14. When Cephas or Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him. I is Paul, in case you're wondering. Paul, he's the, he's the other guy. He's another apostle. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. Before certain men means uh, his, his Jewish friends. Before certain men came from James, I, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The message calls the circumcision group. He calls it, they call you, what's his, what's his name? Um, the message, uh, yeah, Peterson, Eugene Pearson. He calls it the circumcision click. It's like the cool kids. You know, if you're in high school, you got your jocks, you got your nerds, you got, you got the circumcision group. These are the cool guys. So Peter's afraid. He drew back because he was afraid of the circumcision group. Uh, remember that. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Um, so this is a story about the early church, okay? Uh, the Acts Church, it, it, you know, if you know the Bible, the New Testament, it's, it's a collection of letters outside of the four Gospels that are the retelling of Jesus' life. It's a collection of letters, mostly ones where Paul or Peter, mostly Paul, is encouraging the church. 
sometimes not just encouraging them, he's rebuking the church and trying to show them this is what life with Jesus, life in a community, a loving Jesus community should look like. Uh, he's exhorting, he's encouraging, he's rebuking, he's guiding the church and what it should look like. And, and we should look at what the early church has to say because actually it's a guide for us as a church community on how we meant to do this, this, this community together, this loving community. Uh, and we, I don't want to just be a person that shows up on a Sunday, says hi, listens to a song, sings. It's great, but I listen to a message. Oh, cool, go home. I want to be a part of a community that is so loving that there's transformation, that we're seeing the kingdom come to earth. And that's what happens in the early church. That's why it spreads so rapidly. And there's a lot of things they have to say. Uh, we want to be a part of that. But you might have heard, you know, when I say that, you might have heard of the Acts Church. You might hear people say the Acts Church. That's like a just like a phrase, like the Axe Church. Can we go back to the Axe Church? Like, it's so great, the Axe Church. If you've been around a modern church for a while, you would have heard people talk about the Axe Church because like, oh, can we just, everyone shared everything. The Axe Church, they were in love with each other. The spirit, tongues of fire, everyone was sharing. Everything was so great. But actually, even though there is a lot we can learn from the Axe Church, and actually this is something we can learn from the Axe Church, is that, the Acts Church was marked by conflict. It was actually marked by conflict, division, infighting, people that didn't understand each other, people that uh, there is just people trying to figure out how do we follow Jesus. And it was marked by conflict. And we want to go back to the Acts. We always like, great, the Acts Church. But actually, the Acts Church is just as mess up, messed up as our church is. And, but there's things that we can learn from, from these writers about how they deal with their messed upness, how they love each other through the divide, through the, the, there's differences of opinion, through just struggling to be people that follow Jesus in a tight-knit community. So it's clear from the early church that there's a lot of pain and a lot of issues. But we have this thing where we don't, I don't, I, I don't like pain. I don't know if about you. There's like the maybe random weirdos who like work out all the time and love hurting themselves through working out. Most people aren't like that, right? Most people don't like pain. I actually run from pain. Um, and I don't like issues either. And we actually form this belief in church that, man, I shouldn't have to deal with issues. Actually, you, maybe you came to church because you're like, man, I want to be away from all the issues. I'm tired of issues. And I come to church and then you spend a little while in church. You're like, you realize, oh my gosh, there's just as much issues here as there, was, as there is everywhere else. But that's what, that's what we're here for is to learn how do we love each other in those things. Um, you know, kids at, kids at school, you know, I just started teaching and, and they do not, they don't train you. You know, you do like pracs, you do pracs and stuff. They don't train you for the, for the, the plethora of injuries kids have. Like, you know, usually in, you know, on a prac, a kid might come up to you and you say, oh, and you just say, go, you, they don't want it. I don't, you don't talk to me, talk to the real teacher, you know? And now I am the real teacher and they come to you and man, there's just so many, less now than in the first few weeks of me doing my new job because I'm meaner now. I realize I have to be mean, so they stop coming to me. But they come up still so often with injuries, being like, eh, my it hurts, my knee, or like this, like they will just, eh, it hurts here. Or they'll like, this girl came up, she's like, eh, eh. And like they, there's this magic formula, actually, this magic, like this thing that you do to actually, that fixes all injuries that kids have. 
You just say, go get a drink of water. I'm sorry, go get a drink of water. And it works. It's crazy that it works. Um, they, a kid, like this is, this is a true story. A kid came up to me and said, oh, my fingernail, he put it in my face. And I said, your finger hurts, go get a drink of water. And he got a drink of water and it was fixed. We have this idea that we shouldn't have to have pain. We shouldn't have to have issues. We shouldn't have to have things that hurt in our lives. Uh, we want to escape pain and issues so much that we actually form a theology or a belief that if we are doing the right things, if I'm doing the right things, if I'm doing it, if I'm coming to church, doing this, doing that, if I do the right things, if I truly love God, then there shouldn't be issues in my life, okay? Uh, then there shouldn't be conflict. Then there shouldn't be conflict in my life. And that issues are bad, so they should be avoided at all costs. And I want to, we're going to go through a few things about why we believe this. Should be avoided at all costs. And from this, we'll do anything to deny conflict or pain, to avoid pain, or just to pass superficially through conflict and pain. Um, we do conflict unhealthily, actually. In, in, in this belief, it causes us to do conflict and pain really unhealthily. And Pete Scazzaro, in his book, uh, Emotionally Healthy Relationships, talks about ways that we do conflict in an unhealthy way. He calls it dirty fighting tactics. He says we give the silent treatment, we lecture, we blame, condescend, threaten, name call, criticism, sarcasm. What I'd love for you to do is why don't you read through it and see which one you do? Actually, because here's the thing, though, what, about conflict and reading things like this is you probably aren't thinking about the ones you're doing. You're probably thinking about the ones the person sitting next to you is doing. He's like, yes, Matt is thinking right now, Kate, yeah, you, you need to stop being, have so, so much rage. You know, that's probably what you're thinking. But you think you're thinking about the person next to you. Have a think really quick. And if you're brave, tell the person next to you, what's your, what's your conflict, unhealthy way of dealing with conflict? What's your unhealthy way? Have a go. This might be uncomfortable. Tell the person next to you, how do you deal with conflict unhealthily? I can see people saying, yeah, you do this. You do this. You're, you avoid it. You walk away. If you're honest with yourself, you probably do. I do. If I'm honest with myself, I do all of these at different times. Maybe some more than others. Um, I, do, I do some more than others. I might be more passive-aggressive at different times. Or the, depends on the person. Depends on the relationship. We all do these because we want to avoid the actual, the gift. There's a gift of loving confrontation. We want to avoid that, the gift of that. Um, because, you know, again, it's this wrong belief we have. And there's a difference between, we take, we form a the theology like this because uh, the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And we think peacemaking means peacekeeping. Okay. So we think if I really, what it means is I, I try and keep the peace because I don't want to upset anyone. I don't want to make anyone feel bad. I don't want to enter in this awkward thing. And actually what we do is we keep the peace, but we actually don't make peace at all. And actually loving confrontation is what makes peace. John Mark Comer, he puts it like this. Um, Some of us report resolving conflict because of wrong beliefs about peacemaking. Because Jesus, because Jesus proclaimed, blessed are the peacemakers, we wrongly assume that Jesus calls us to be pacifiers and people pleasers who ensure that no one gets upset. Rather than expressing the ways that someone has hurt us or upset us, we avoid conflict by saying nothing, dismissing our wants and pretending nothing is wrong. Yet true peace will never come by pretending that what is wrong is right. Other of us are poor at conflict, not because we're trying to keep the peace, but because we fight dirty, like we looked at. Whether because of our family of origin or because of our personality, all of us have adopted habits for dealing with conflict 
that are unhealthy are unkind words, defensive postures, and aggressive or passive-aggressive behaviors can all contribute to dirty fighting tactics. Yet true peace will never come until we learn to fight cleanly. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see a model for true peacemaking. Jesus was willing to bring disruption in order to bring true peace. Jesus didn't avoid conflict or appease people. He didn't ignore tensions or differences. Jesus fought, but he fought cleanly and with integrity. If we're going to follow Jesus, we must, learn to, we must learn to engage in loving conflict. By the power of the Spirit and in community, we can be transformed into the kind of people who fight cleanly with integrity. And I believe that. And that's, that's John Mark Comer. That's his way of saying how we, how we do this. And John Paul Lederick, he has, a, he has this book called um, Reconcile, Conflict Tra- Transformation for Ordinary Christians. And he's, this, he's a scholar. He's an educator. Um, and he's a Christian who has done this massive work on what is conflict and how do we have reconciliation. It's used by NGOs and governments actually across the world to have reconciliation in actually horribly, horribly um, divided uh, scenarios. And, and he says in his book, uh, most of us recognize that conflict is a part of our lives and relationships today. However, there tends to be a common and rather strong perspective within Christian circles that conflict represents the pr- presence of sin. Recognition of our fallen nature leads to the general perspective that conflict is in fact sin. On the other hand, God's creation commitment, commitments provide a different viewpoint. Built into God's original plan before the fall, humankind was conceived in such a way that made differences in conflict normal and inevitable. What he goes on to say is that man, conflict is actually something that God wove into our fabric as a gift to us so that we could know God better. We could actually understand his grace better. Uh, but we have to do it. it the, the problem is we so often are fight dirty. And so that doesn't happen. So let's unpack this story. Let's unpack this story. Cephas, that's Peter, okay? There's this divide, right, between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Uh, Christianity started as kind of this Jewish messianic movement. Jesus was a Jew. His disciples were Jewish. Uh, and up till Paul, they had been reaching out to other Jewish people because that's who they knew. Paul came and he felt, called to reach Gentiles, people who are not Jewish, uh, a, dif- a different ethnic group. And by Paul's time, that by when he was doing it, there's actually just as many non-Jews as Jewish Christians um, in the Jesus movement. And between these two groups, there is a huge debate. There is a huge divide between these two groups uh, over what the new way of life should look like, uh, the, way, the way of Jesus. Because uh, historically, the people of Israel. They were marked by, they set themselves apart. Uh, they had practices that set themselves apart, set themselves apart practices such as circumcision, like the circumcision group. Sorry if that's awkward for you. It's a thing. And what they were allowed to eat. And that's what this one's about, is what they were allowed to eat. So they had to eat kosher. They couldn't have pork. They couldn't have shellfish, things like that. And many Jewish Christians, so the Jewish Christian group, the Jewish Christian, the message calls it, he calls in, in this passage, he's, you know, it's um, belong to the circumcision group. He calls them the circumcision clique, this group of people who are actually influential in, the, in the, the, this new Christian community. They believed that you have to actually adhere to these Jewish customs to be a part of God's new, Jesus' new family. Uh, there, was a, uh, there was a deepening divide because of, between these two groups, Paul and the early, the, uh, Paul, sorry, sorry, Paul and the early leaders, so Paul, Peter, John, James, they actually were in agreement that, no, you don't have to 
adhere to these things. You can eat what you want. You don't have to be circumcised. But there's still this growing, there's this, not growing, there's this group of Jews who believe now to be a part of our new Christian group, to be a part of our family, our Christian family, you have to do these things. And the leaders of the church knew it wasn't about that. You actually, there were, it wasn't about physical markers, but by the dwelling and the transformation of the Holy Spirit that marked your, uh, your involvement in the family. And, and so the, in the story, that's the backstory. In the story, Peter, okay? Peter, who's the guy who cut the ear, he denied Jesus, all this stuff. He's eating with the Gentiles, right? He's at a Gentile party, okay? Gentile parties, they got the good stuff, okay? We're, we're like, they're eating ribs, right? The things that you can't eat. They got ribs, they got bacon, man. They got pork, they got prawns, you know? And man, he's like, he's loving it. But then the Jewish clique, the circumcision clique, the Jewish group, his friends walk into the room and he distances himself. And, you know, he gets, you know, this is my picture. He gets up and he's like, he's like, oh, he's trying to make sure they didn't see that he was eating with them, having fun with them. And he points the finger at them saying, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. He distances himself and points the finger. But the whole time, man, he's got like barbecue sauce on his face, right? Because like he, he's, he's, been, he's been eating it, you know? And the story, uh, he, he knows it's okay, right? He knows it's okay. He believes it's okay. But he cares so much about what his Jewish friends think of him that he actually distances himself. He, he's hypocritical. It's a character flaw. It's a story of a character flaw. Uh, and it's an elephant in the room, right? Because Peter, like, he, he, this has happened before. Like, think about when he denied Jesus three times. People asked him, oh, are, you, are you with him? He's like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not with him. He actually cares so much about what other people think about him that he actually is willing to compromise his convictions. He cares so much about what other people think about him. He's willing to compromise his convictions. And I, and I think by this time, it's become an elephant in the room where people realize, man, Paul, or sorry, Peter is, is like that. Uh, it would have been easy to see people seeing going from eating with the Gentiles to denouncing them. You could see that he was being, they could see he was being hypocritical. It was a massive character flaw of Peter's and it wasn't the first time that it happened. Now, other people knew about it and it, it was an elephant in the room. And, and an elephant in the room is when everyone knows something except for the person that has it person has the elephant. Everyone knows uh, yeah, they're that way, but the person that has it doesn't know. And this is a point where there's a point here where Paul could say, ah, oh, yeah, that's, that's Peter. Like, he's just really like that. It's really annoying. But he knows, man, there is a divide in our church. And actually, if I, I could, this, this is only going to get bigger. And he, he, he decides I'm going to go into loving confrontation with him because I care so much about him and our church that it's even if it's, it's agape love, even if it means it costs me, I have to talk to him about it. We all have our own elephants. There, there are blind spots. Probably the person next to you can tell you what your elephant or your blind spot is. Um, like, we have blind spots, and we just aren't aware of them without people. The week before my wedding, I was going to Sydney to pick up my friends. My best man and his family were coming for the wedding, and I went to, to pick him up. I went one night, I was picking him up early the next day, and I wasn't feeling great that day. I was like, ooh, I'm feeling a bit gross. Like, Mim was trying to finish up uni and stuff, so I had a lot of the responsibility of getting ready for the wedding. So just a lot on and just not really paying attention to myself. I hadn't eaten much that day just because there's so much going on. And I get there, and I'm meeting up with Theo, who's someone on our team here. You might have seen him preach or do whatever. And, um, and I was staying with him in Sydney that night. We're at the pub getting, getting a burger, and... I was just like, oof. I get there, I was like, oh man, I'm feeling. I didn't tell him this because, like, it was so unaware, but I was just like feeling hot, feeling sweaty. He's a great conversationalist, but I could not hear a word he was saying. 
And all of a sudden I pass out in the middle of the pub, just like face, this is what they told me, face down, like in the burger plate. And I woke up and it was 15 minutes later, I woke up and there's like this group of people around me, Theo's freaking out. And there's paramedics came and they're like, they thought I was on drugs because who passes out in a pub in Sydney? And it was like, and actually I just had the flu. I just had the flu, but I had a blind spot. I was so unaware of my body. I was so unaware of what was going on inside of me because of stress, because of life, all that stuff going on. And I, that I just, it, yeah, I had passed out. And, um, and it's just the flu. But we can be like that. We can be so unaware. We can have these huge blind spots in our character that actually we don't see. We are so unaware of it uh, that sometimes we need something to wake us up. Sometimes we need someone to wake us up. If we live in a Christian community rooted in grace and truth, committed to not harboring elephants, we can be a community that lovingly works through elephants in the room, that lovingly enters into confrontation. Um, and we all have it. Something that we all know, it's just too awkward to say. It could be a coworker, it could be a family member, a friend. It's something that's just difficult. It's annoying. It's trying. And everyone sees it, but it's easier to just let it slide. It's easier to not address it because you just want to keep the peace. It's like, oh, it's too much. But it has to come to a point where, you know, we're going to talk about the temptations in that, but it has to come to a point where you say, man, I'm not going to harbor this anymore. I have to, because I love you and I love, I love this community. I have to talk about it. We have to talk about it. And that's not a bad thing. That's actually an invitation to experience God for you and that person in a deeper way. But we, we face temptations. I think Paul faced three temptations uh, in this, in this um, scenario. And they're temptations that we face today. Uh, temptations that you and I face today in doing conflict. First one is um, the temptation to make it a rule for everyone. So we can be tempted to be like, Yes, okay, so I need to do conflict. There's some people that are like this naturally, uh, that just anytime there's anything, I'm going to tell you about it. Oh, you, you're one minute late to our meeting? Oh, I'm going to talk to you. You know, there's a temptation to make it a rule for anyone. But here's the thing. Peter was not an unbeliever, was he? He wasn't a new believer even. He, he wasn't someone who just walked into church, right? He wasn't someone who had no idea of the life God had called him to live. This is not a situation that would apply to those people. It's not like that. That's not who we're talking about in conflict. The people that just have, they're, they're new to the family. Um, we, we say it, we say our church and lots of churches say this, that you belong before you believe. And this is a community here that it's, uh, it, we have unlimited grace for people. Uh, so they can join this community of grace and just become a part of it, showing grace and love to each other. But there comes a point, and I'm not, it's, I don't know when that is. It's probably different for every single person. There comes a point where you get into a relationship with people where we have to be able to say, I have to talk to you. You know, I have to be able to talk to you because you're in my community. Um, he, he was a senior member in the church. He had been around the block. He knew what was up. And there are situations when the most loving thing we can do is to, is to not, not say anything. There is situations where the most loving thing we can do is to not say anything, right? It's just to let it go because we can't fight every single battle, you know? But uh, there's situations where we should just accept and welcome like the new and the non-believers. But this isn't that situation. But that's the temptation, is to make it a rule. We have to do that for everyone, okay? There's a temptation for us to do that, just to make it a blanket thing. Nope, this is this, this. And it's not like that. It's a case-by-case -case thing. It's a relational It's a relational thing. The second temptation is to deal with it, quote-unquote. That means not deal with it. To deal with it passively. So you notice, to deal with it passively. You know, Paul didn't write a letter to thing. He didn't tweet about it. You know, he didn't, he wouldn't say, oh, you didn't do a 
whatever, like a Instagram post saying hashtag Gentile foods. Okay. You know what I mean? That's the, cause I'm young and cool. Like you guys do. Anyways, he didn't write a passive aggressive letter. He didn't, he didn't post about it on social media, vaguely referencing the issue or the elephant in the room. When we talk about the issue without actually talking about the issue with the person, you know, we miss the transformation that God wants to do uh, in us and in, in the other person. We often can try and just address the issue vaguely. You know, that might be for you, you know, it might be on social media. You might say, yeah, I just like hate it when people, you know, say you can only, you, you can't eat pork. You know, I hate it when people do that. And it's like, you actually, you're missing out on the transformation God wants to do. Uh, and, and it's a temptation we all face. And it's like, it's turns it, you turn into this theological point that you become proud about. It's proving how you were right. And it, you're not entering into the relational pain and the relational actual gold that can come out of uh, actually talking to the person about it. Um, the third temptation is to deal with it, quote unquote, with other people, not with the person, with other people. And we do this, right? We all do, we've all done this. It doesn't say, it, it doesn't say in, the, in the text, it doesn't say he went off with all the other people, except he went off and, and talked to his mates about it. Like, oh, can you believe that Peter did that? He was eating with him, and then he was pointing the finger at him. Right? Can you believe he did that? And it, you know, James and John, or whoever, he's talking to his other, you know, the other elders in the church. Like, yeah, I cannot believe that he did that. That is so horrible. Someone should say something to him. Yeah, someone should. But then, like, because you both feel better about yourself, no one actually talks to him about it because it's like. The, the, the thing with the dealing with it with other people first, uh, it, it's a temptation to deal with it just by validating our feelings. And our focus isn't on loving the person. It's actually just the focus on making us feel better, you know, making us feel better about it, making our, because we're offended by it and we're hurt by it, which is okay to be hurt by those things. But we just actually focus on making ourselves feel better and not entering into the loving confrontation that, that it requires. Uh, does this mean you should never talk to people about issues or things that are you're struggling with or things that you're struggling with another person? It's good to get wisdom, uh, advice for how to deal with conflict. You know, it's good to do those things. But I think often the first port of call should be talking to that, that person one-on-one first um, in most situations, maybe not always. Uh, but I think often that should be the first port of call. And that, you know, and John, or sorry, Jesus says that in Matthew, the classic verse on confrontation. He says, talk to the person first. And then if they still don't get it, if they're still not in line to it, then talk to someone else and bring them in with you. Um, so often I think our first word of call, we don't talk to our friends and just get validated. Be like, oh yeah, it's so horrible. Because then often it's just, we don't, we don't, we don't, we won't go talk to them about it, will we? It just means we feel better. We're just doing it not for them. We're doing it for us. We're doing it to make ourselves feel better. Uh, not to say that you can't talk to other people, but we have to check our hearts on that. In order to move past these temptations, we have to change our view of what conflict is. Conflict isn't bad. It doesn't need to be avoided. We can see conflict as a primary way we encounter God, bringing us to repentance. And when we come to repentance, we come to know God in a new way, in a way we've never known him before. Uh, Helping us see our blind spots, the elephants we carry that can then be given over to God. John Paul Lederick in his book goes on to say, uh, and the promise of God was not that all would be fine or that all would be taken care of well ahead of his arrival. The promise was a simple, I will be with you. The pathway through conflict towards reconciliation is filled with God encounters. If we have the eyes to see, conflict opens a path, a holy path towards revelation and reconciliation. So we have to have a loving, we have to have a commitment to loving confrontation. 
so that we can actually experience God in that way with the people we are close with, with our close community. Uh, it's a commitment, and not, not to make a legalistic rule, a commitment to not deal with it passively and a commitment to deal with it with that person, not with others. Because it's through this commitment to, be, to loving confrontation that we can experience God in a new way. Um, Proverbs 27, 6 says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. The Hebrew word for wound, that sounds like really harsh to us. The Hebrew word for wound is petsa. Say petsa. Now we know some Hebrew. That's pretty cool. Can be translated, can be translated to bruising, okay? To bruise someone. It's not, it's not harsh. It's not meant to, it's not meant to be like this crazy thing. It's like, you know, my picture of it is like Rafiki hitting Simba on the head with a stick, making him aware of his blind spot. He's actually been running from his problems the whole time. And it's like that. It's the bruising like that. He wasn't chopping his head off, you know? He wasn't, you know, he's actually loved him so much that he had to actually had to go into this conflict. He actually had to bruise him to make him aware of his character flaw so he can live fully into his purpose. We have to be people that are open to this kind of bruising uh, or to to that loving confrontation. We have to commit to be people, uh, to being people who are in our close community can be open to being lovingly confronted and open to lovingly confront. Rich Velotis in his book, uh, The Deeply Formed Life, calls that, he calls it humble listening and respectful speech. And he, he goes in that saying, we have to be people that can humbly listen, but respectfully speak. And I'm, you know, I'll get, the, I'll get the band to come up. I'm so grateful for the friends in my life who have the courage to do that to me, to respectfully speak to me and not just say, oh, it's okay. Just ignore the problems. Because I got problems, you got problems, you got problems. Man, I'm so thankful the deepest relationships for the people, the family in my life that were willing to say, man, I will, uh, they will lovingly confront me. But it's not just that. We have to be, that's probably the harder part is to be people that are willing to lovingly confront. But we also have to be people that have the humility, the humility to be lovingly confronted. Because um, it's not always perfect, is it? Someone comes to you, my, you know, Mim comes to me, and she's like, oh, I didn't like the way you did that. And, you know, I don't accept anything she says because she didn't say it the right way, right? It's totally prideful, right? Because I don't, I, it's like, well, you, you were really rude the way you said that. So I'm not going to clean up my clothes now. <laughs> you know what I mean? We do this thing where we actually are so, we're so, it's pride. It's pride that we don't accept the loving confrontation that people bring to us because they want the best for us. We have to accept the loving confrontation people bring. And we have to take it with humility. And sometimes, yeah, there's hurt wrapped up in that. So it might not come out perfectly. But people that, in a loving community, we have to be people that can lovingly confront and be, and are willing to be lovingly confronted. I just want to quickly just take you through these, just show you these steps. Um, and this is from this book. I'm not going to spend tons of time looking at this, but this is from this book, Emotionally Healthy Relationships. I'll just say healthy, not health. Emotionally Healthy Relationships. And it just shows us steps to loving conflict. And if you want to get into this, buy the book. Um, but it just says, you know, ask, it just t- t- it gives you a guide to entering into loving confrontation with, with each other. Um, ask for permission and state the problem. Stay why, state why it's important to you. Uh, this is the person bringing the problem. Fill in the following sentence. When you do this, I feel this. State your request clearly, respectfully, and specifically. And then the listener considers the request and states their level of agreement. They might have something that they're thinking about that. Agree to the request or offer an alternative and then review the agreement later. And so take a picture of that, but you can find that. You can find that online. That's in the book, but you can find that online if you look up emotionally healthy relationships too. I want to finish. I'm so thankful. I guess this is like really not easy, right? This is like probably the hardest thing we can do. And it's like, it's not just 
you and me, it's like, man, I think it's, it's our shirt, not like our, our Australian, American, like Western culture is that we just don't do conflict well. We f- fall into those dirty tactics really, really easy. But I'm so thankful for the people in my life that are willing, that they agape love me. You know, they love me so much that they're willing to be uncomfortable. They're willing to maybe, maybe I don't accept it the, well the first time, you know. I'm so thankful for people that even though I might not accept it well the first time, they still will come to me and say, man, Ryan, I can see this thing. I can see you doing this. I, I can see you falling in this way. I'm so thankful for those people. And, and would we be people that are willing to have the, have the courage to enter into that, to love people that much. And it's not the stranger off the street, right? It's your friends. It's your close friends. It's your family. It's people. And it takes an agreement from both of you to say, I will humbly listen and I'll respectfully speak. But I'm so thankful for the people that do that in my life. And I hope, I pray that I can be that kind of person. Uh, I, I really do. John Mark Comer, in his, in the, he just released this ebook, and I think he sums up this relationship that we're going for. You come back to the table, eat the bread, drink the wine, and just the forgiving love of God Repent, repent again and again, risk vulnerability. We will get hurt and we will hurt in return. That's part of facing grace. Our greatest wounds come from relationships, but so does our deepest healing. The risk is worth it. That's what I want to invite us into is to a kind of love in relationships in our tight, in your tight community, to be someone that can risk it, that can risk the, whether it's the social cred or risk the relationship and maybe it being awkward. You know, and the thing that's like, that Paul did is like he risked it because he could see a divide happening in the church between these two groups of people he knew. He's like, if nothing happens, this is just gonna get worse and worse. The elephant's gonna grow bigger and bigger and bigger. And he said, you know what? Peter is my great friend, but if I don't say something, it only gets worse. And he loved him so much that he actually did something about it. He actually confronted him lovingly. So I'd, I'd love to pray together. I'd just love to pray together about that. Maybe you need the courage to lovingly confront, not rudely, not angrily, to lovingly confront, but maybe you need the humility to be lovingly confronted. Um, I'd love to pray for us for that. I, I wrote a prayer just because I think there's some, there's, it's really easy to misinterpret this. So if you're feeling really weird about what I'm saying, I'd love to talk to you about it. Um, but I wrote a prayer just to help me pray what I really want to say. So you can, you can read it with me or you can pray it with me and I'll pray that and then I'll, and I'll pray some more maybe. Father, give me the humility to be bruised. Give me listening ears that hear you through the broken vessels you have placed in my life. Give me the courage to use respectful speech to bruise, showing true agape love that wills good even at a cost to myself. Thank you that in loving confrontation, I can know you that my character flaws, the elephants I am harboring can be brought into the light and given over to you. The uncertainty of loving confrontation scares me, but I also believe the promise that you will be with me. I ask that this journey in which I find myself becomes a path of revelation, a place in which I encounter you and myself in a new way. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, 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 oh,